0: So one, is just want to thank the Historical Society for the invitation to present to you all today. And just wanted to acknowledge my co-authors, um, Dr. Greg Holtzman and Dr. Stephen Helgerson. So I, I just want to start with a quote from the book, um, The Great Influenza by um, John Barry, which is an outstanding read if you want to get an uh, overview of the pandemic across the world. Um, Nature chose to rage in 1918. It chose the form of the influenza virus in which to do this. This meant that nature first crept upon the world in familiar, almost comic form. It came in masquerade, then it pulled down its mask and showed its fleshless bone. So the disease influenza has been known for centuries across the world, but the disease, the Spanish influenza epidemic that came in 1918 was no ordinary influenza. So the Spanish influenza epidemic in 1918-1919, it was the most devastating pandemic in the 20th century. The causative agent of that pandemic wasn't identified at the time, it wasn't until the 1930s that uh, researchers identified that it was influenza A, H1N1. The pandemic um, infected over, it's estimated over five million people across the planet and there were over 50 million deaths. Here in the United States, there was over 675,000 deaths and 550,000 of those deaths were excess deaths, meaning um, deaths that wouldn't have occurred in a normal influenza season. The Spanish influenza was severe, very severe, and unusually severe among young adults, and it (laughs) occurred at no ordinary time. So, just to put the... Pandemic in context. Um, so, war, we were in the middle of World War I. The picture on the right is uh, from Main Street, I believe, in Helena, from October 24, 1917. It's the 163rd Infantry getting ready to leave for France. And the poster on the right is a draft recruitment poster um, to get people to um, enlist into the military. Because of the war, there was a, a massive shortage of physicians and nurses across the United States who were. They were going over to Europe to help serve the troops, and in Montana it was particularly bad. Um, other things going on with the pandemic in context, so there was a shortage of wheat, and massive uh, wheat production was going on in here in Montana. Um, and then the big thing that happened in Montana, or just to help put it in context of what was going on, so this headline I'm sure you probably have seen this. Um, from the Historical Society from March 24, 1918, really it illustrates the level of paranoia in the United States. So they have images of a spy, a dynamiter, a germ spreader, etc. So um, the level of paranoia and the level of patriotism were very high. And I'm sure you've all seen the image on the bottom of the crowd in North Town burning uh, German textbooks from the school. And this was the time, too, February of um, 1918, when the governor called a special session to the legislature and the legislature passed by, I think one of the first state's sedition laws which was enacted here in Montana and I believe used as a model in other states, right, for, for the United States. Not only was there a war uh, in Europe, there was a war here in Montana uh, between labor and the capitalists. So I'm sure you recognize these individuals. So in 1918, medicine and public health, um, they were very busy dealing with other public health concerns. Um, Going through all the um, historic records, um, public health was dealing with smallpox outbreaks, typhoid and measles, tuberculosis, and scarlet fever. In 1918, the uh, State Board of Health notes um, documented that there were 15,000 reportable diseases um, reported to the State Board of Health. About 10,000 of those were measles cases. Um, Medicine and public health were ill-prepared to deal with a pandemic, and in general, people um, didn't like influenza, but it was like, man, it's just influenza. It comes and goes. Um, um, but the issue then was the cause of the illness was not known. There's no vaccine or treatment for it, and there were no antibiotics. So, really, they didn't have any tools to deal with it. Um, and in general, regular influenza season, sometimes many people became ill. Um, sometimes a few people died, but generally the mortality related to it was in very young and very old, not in young people. Um, yeah.
1: And the other interesting thing was, um, at this
0: time, um, influenza wasn't even a reportable disease in Montana, so that kind of gave you a level of what kind of concern the Board of Health had related to it. So, just want to give a little background to put in context. What, what do we know about the What's special about the Spanish influenza pandemic? So we know a few things. One was that the pandemic spread in three waves in the United States. The first wave was in the spring of 1918 where there were many people ill in selected communities and army camps and the mortality associated was moderate. Um, the big um, big epidemic came in September and October of 1918 where the second and third wave started. So the second wave is in fall, September of 1918, and the third wave starts in the spring of 1919. Um, there's been lots of research to try to figure out well, where did this start? And so there's pretty good evidence that it may have started in Haskell County, Kansas. There was a very astute physician named Dr. Lauren Miner um, who recognized an outbreak of pneumonia in Haskell County, Kansas. He was so concerned about it that he reported it to the U.S. public health officials who um, made this note in the public health weekly reports, uh, a one-sentence note about that outbreak in Kansas. Um, It's speculated that um, people from Haskell County, Kansas may have went up to Camp Funston, which is in Manhattan, Kansas, and actually um, infected soldiers in that camp, and then there was a large outbreak in Camp Funston. During the spring of 1918, there were sporadic outbreaks (coughs) (coughs) across the United States of influenza. Um, It hit military camps, it hit um, institutions, like San Quentin Prison had a large outbreak, and it hit a few cities. Um, By the summer of 1918, things kind of calmed down in the United States, uh, but things were starting to brew in Europe. So one question we wanted to look at as part of this project was, was there a first wave event in Montana? And the answer is likely, at least in Butte, yes, everything happens in Butte, it seems. Um, these are newspaper stories from Butte from March of 1918. And if you look at the story here on the left, um, this is from the Anaconda Standard from March 21st. It's reporting that 20% of the uh, Butte's population is ill with the flu and colds. Um, the center story from March... 27th here really describes the severity of what's going on. Um, Pneumonia is claiming many. Deadly disease follows epidemic of uh, La grip, which was called, influenza was called, which is sweeping over the city last week. Many victims are called. Um, There were some stories we found from the Butte newspapers, and one in particular that basically said um, how severe the the, uh, panic or the outbreak was affecting businesses. And one reported from the March 30th Butte Miners said that 14 miners were sick at home because of that they had influenza. Um, Even the Lieutenant Governor, Lieutenant Governor McDowell got ill, he was visiting Butte on behalf of Governor Stewart, I believe, Um, and he got a severe case of influenza as well. So, just wanted to introduce you to this gentleman. This is U.S. Civilian Surgeon General Rupert Blue. He was in charge of the Public Health Service during this pandemic. One question we many researchers have looked at was, was America aware and prepared for what was coming? Um, and the, I'll get to the answer in a second. But, so the second lethal wave of the pandemic hit the U.S. at the end of August of 1918. And it wasn't until August 9th that the U.S. Public Health Service took notice In some of their reports, they said influenza is prevalent in Europe and in Hawaii and elsewhere. In 1916, Surgeon General Blue um, sent an alert to quarantine stations across the United States to make sure that if they had boats or ships coming in with ill people, no one was allowed off until the the local health officer was notified. On October 27, 1918, the first cases of influenza hit Boston. Um, and the first death was on September 8th, so the second wave of the pandemic where it really impacted healthy young adults and began. Um, Interestingly, 15 days later here in Montana, we had our first death, a three-year-old American Indian child from Rapid, Montana. So just 15 days it took for the virus to spread across the United States. So one question you might ask is, why weren't we prepared? Um, And it was pretty much, because America and the government were solely looking at Europe and focusing on the war, We weren't looking at the problems at home. This slide just has a couple headline articles uh, describing the uh, epidemic when it hit uh, Montana. Uh, The article on the left is from the Helena Independent for September 20th, basically saying that influenza is spreading rapidly on the East Coast and there's many deaths in Boston. Um, Surgeon General Blue made recommendations that were um, captured in that report about go to bed and get rest, get fresh air, um, make sure you have abundant food, and call a doctor if you're ill. This story on the right is from the Glasgow Courier, um, basically uh, describing the arrival of the epidemic up in Glasgow, and it it, uh, details the, there's many cases in Valley County. Um, There's 50 people in Wolf Pointer who are sick and 100 in Scobie. The one interesting thing in these articles was um, there was quotes from healthcare professionals, including Surgeon General Blue, that basically said, People, there's no reason to become panicky. And here's the quote There's nothing mysterious about this germ, which is well recognized, and it's only the complications apparently that result fatally. They were keeping putting, pushing back and saying, This is just influenza. The pneumonies are bad, but it's nothing new. Um, it was speculated in some of the newspapers up in the northeast corner of the state that. Cattlemen maybe had, had took their um, cows to Chicago to slaughter, got sick, and came back, and that's how it started. So just briefly, the goal for this project that we're presenting today was, there's been great uh, previous uh, historic documentation about the pandemic in Montana by Pierce Mullen and his colleague and Volney Steele. Um, one thing that's kind of missing in all this was, no one ever had really kind of detailed the toll of the pandemic on Montana. And so that was really the goal for us was to, and I'm gonna present some data to you all from death records to show what was the burden of this pandemic in Montana and also to document um, the public health response. I'm not gonna bore you with methods and analyses.
1: So I hope you can see this. This is just an image
0: of one of the death records from Mr. Joseph Herman, who died from Spanish influenza on October 27, 1918. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about him later in the presentation. But if you can see it, people had really good handwriting back then. It's very nice. His cause of deaths in the center on the right. He had influenza of nine days duration. On the center on the left. I'm sorry, on the right is um, his occupation, and then there's demographic information. So these are the records that we reviewed. So the first wave of the epidemic hit Montana, likely in, between January and June. During that time period, there were 53 deaths across er, in Montana. The first death was among a 103-year-old woman who lived at the Carbon County Poor Farm, and she died on January 16th. Um, Among those 53 deaths, about half were from Butte, kind of again highlighting that there probably was a first wave event in Butte, Um, 11% were from Deer Lodge, but as you can see in almost, or 25 counties had no deaths at all. One, a couple hints of something different that was coming was when we looked at the death records from 1918, those folks, we compared those to, um, influenza deaths in 1928 we reviewed all those records as well just to put in a comparison of the pandemic compared to a non-pandemic year folks who died during january through june of this time period were almost 10 years younger than um, what would be a non-pandemic year um, so a little hint something different's happening
1: again influenza wasn't a reportable condition
0: um, but if it was a reportable condition like it is today Um, case information that would come into the local health departments into the state um, as well as this mean this unusual lower age of um, uh, death would probably raise some alarm bells that something's happening that's not normal so that again the second and third waves of the pandemic um, started in September of 1918 and went all the way through June of 1919 The first death during the second wave again was a a young three year old American Indian boy. He died on September 23rd, 1918. Two days later, there's a death of a 15 year old girl in Scobie and then a 86 year old man in Great Falls. A few days later, there's five more deaths up in northeast Montana. So the tsunami that has has hit Montana has begun. And over the next 10 months, there'd be uh, almost 4,200 deaths associated with um, Spanish influenza. So I'm gonna describe this graph to you. Um, Hopefully it'll make sense. So this figure just shows you the the influenza death rates during two week time periods. So these are all two week time periods here on the bottom. Um, During the second um, and third wave of the pandemic in 1918 and 1919, that's this black area. This gray area is same time period for 1928 and 29. And this is the number of deaths so as you can see, the number of deaths soared um, during October and November um, of 1918. And you can it, just put it in comparison. This is, would be a, like a normal influenza year compared to the Spanish influenza pandemic. Um, the largest two-week period with the largest number of deaths was October 20th through November 2nd, and there were um, over 900 deaths during that period. So this figure just shows you um, the pandemic didn't hit the counties equally. There was a lot of variation. So this is the death rates across counties um, during the second and third pandemic, or during the second and third wave of the pandemic. So the darker blue counties um, had higher mortality rates um, compared to the white counties. So so the overall mortality rate for Montana was 7.7 per thousand. So 7.7 deaths per thousand. It was the highest in Butte, at almost 13 deaths per thousand, and the lowest in Sanders County, which was 3, 3.1 per thousand. So, a lot of variation. Possibly um, the variation might be due to population density, more people packed into areas. So, the statewide mortality rate, if you compare the, the pandemic year compared to 1928, 1929, um, the mortality rate was nine times higher during the pandemic here in Montana. And over of the deaths among uh, uh, folks in Montana were healthy young adults, um, compared to um, 25% in a non-pandemic year. So it was very severe. So uh, so this figure just kind of highlights that same point in a different way. This is the mortality rates for influenza um, by age. So these are the age categories, young to old on the bottom. For the two time periods so this dotted line is 1928 1929 the solid line is the Spanish influenza pandemic so during a normal influenza season again most people who die are very young or very old and as you can see the this during the Spanish influenza pandemic it really took a wall on the very young and also the healthy young as well Um, Just a few things, I'm not gonna hit everything on this slide, but just to show you how it impacted different groups of people here in the state. Um, uh, The pandemic hit Missoula very hard and actually um, killed uh, 34 soldiers and one sailor who were here in the state. Um, Fort Missoula had an outbreak right at the beginning of the pandemic um, that impacted, I think half of these soldiers are from Fort Missoula. 25 physicians and nurses and hospital staff died from Spanish influenza. And 40 teachers, and many of these teachers were volunteering as nursing aides because the schools were closed, and they likely got influenza from helping treat patients. Ten um, percent of the deaths among women of childbearing age, so women from 18 to 45 years of age, ten um, percent of those deaths were pregnant women. So, it's, and pregnant women are, we know now, are at higher risk for influenza in general. Just wanted to. Uh, Give you a little bit of flavor in terms of the personal level of how the impact or the, the, the pandemic impacted Montana communities with just a few stories so this story there we go on on the right is a story about three sisters the stalkup sisters Winnie, Ruth and Jenny they were aged 26 27 and 32 and each were teachers in schools in Madison County all three of them died between December 12th and December 13th 1918 the story on the right is a story about um, the impact on physicians and nurses as well who likely also were um, infected because they were caring for people. So on November 1st, 1918, the Dillon Tribune reported on the death of Charles Robert Blake Sr. He was 33 years of age. He had done his internship at Butte at Murray Hospital and then moved to Dillon to start his medical practice. I'll just read this quote from the newspaper article. <clears throat> when the present ep- epidemic expansion of Spanish influenza broke out there, there were only four physicians in Dillon. In addition to his regular practice, he answered calls for many of the stricken ones and was on the go almost constantly. The, um, the overwork made it easy prey for the disease. So Dr. Blake was um, survived by his wife, Elizabeth, and his two children, Charles and um, Elizabeth, who raised three and one. And then also, if you see this story here in the center, um, it impacted whole families, so many children were orphaned because both parents died from Spanish influenza. I just want to give you a flavor too of the intersection of the war and the pandemic. Um, so on the right here is a story about the death of Auguste Raphael or Ralph Sauve, who was a corporal in the army. Um, he was 29. He was from Sago, Montana, and he was of French Canadian descent. He saw action early in the war in France and he acted as a French interpreter for officers on the front line. And when he was in um, while he was in the front line, he was gassed by any forces and hospitalized um, in France. Eventually he got transferred back to Baltimore and was discharged from the military due to disability. And then he returned to Montana early in October 8, 1918, and just two weeks after his return, caught Spanish in influenza and passed away. The quote from the story in the newspaper basically said he's He took sick from influenza, and since so much of his lungs were destroyed by gas, his chances for living were handicapped from the very start. And then here on the right, uh, or on the left, sorry, um, this is who I talked to you about before, that death record. So this is Mr. Joseph Herman, and I'd like to tell you a little bit more about him. After the U.S. entered the war, all German immigrants in the U.S. who were not citizens were required by the U.S. Department of Justice to register as alien enemies. These individuals were required to carry these cards and to register with local postmasters to receive approval to travel from one registration district to the next. Um, As you can see on this card, this is the postmaster telling him, giving him the okay to move from place to place. Basically, he was a laborer and a sheep herder. So he moved from Great Falls to Geraldine. And then he passed away in Geraldine on October 27th. And just to finish, I just want to go through what was the public health actions? What did public health try to do to address this epidemic? Um, many of you might know this gentleman. This is Dr. Wayne Coxwell, the Longing Acting Executive Officer of the State Board of Health. He was the, State, the executive officer during the pandemic. So the State Board of Health during this time basically was in charge of coordinating disease control efforts in collaboration with local city and county health officials. So the state local public work, workforce was very small and the public health had very limited resources uh, but as I mentioned previously the um, Board of Health and the local counties were very busy addressing other communicable diseases like smallpox so was the Board of Health aware and prepared for what was coming bottom line was no um, even with a potential first wave outbreak down in Butte there was no mention of any concern of anything big and bad coming in September of 1918, and there was no warnings from the Surgeon General about um, you think something bad's gonna happen. So, Coxwell, um, well, what actions did the Board of Health take? So the first thing they did is they held an emergency meeting on October 9th, and then they adopted regulations to allow city and county health officials to close down all public places. In many counties and cities did that, bars, schools, churches, and everything. Um, they made the disease reportable, um, and as you can see, they started to count cases, and between October and December, they reported about 38,000 cases. But as you can note right below that, in many places of the state during the epidemic, the local health department completely broke down uh, on account of the fact that the local health officer was too busy responding to calls of the sick to attend his duties as the health official. Dr. Coswell sent out a press release that got picked up in many papers about a plea to the community of don't overuse your physicians, don't call after 10 o'clock unless it's an emergency. Um, and the health officer from Yellowstone County, Dr. Alliard, was busy at work trying to address fashion um, influenza, he got severely ill, was hospitalized with delirium, fortunately he survived. So these people, I, I can only imagine were going out of their mind at that time. Um, The Board of Health uh, quickly realized that prevention efforts weren't going to work and they had to focus on relief efforts. So shortly after the epidemic hit, Cogswell put a uh, request into the Public Health Service and the Red Cross to get more nurses and physicians, and we got a few. He also put out a plea to physicians in Montana to volunteer if their communities didn't need them. And this story in the center is one of the volunteers about him, Dr. Alfred Dodge. He was from Polson, and Dr. Cogswell stationed him in Rappelgee. And when he got to Rappelgee, basically um, there was flu in every house. There were over 300 people ill, and there was no doctor or nurse in the community. And he helped convert a school and a church into a hospital and identified ner- volunteer nursing aides and used a farm wagon as an ambulance. So I want to come back to Butte, because there's always interesting things in Butte. Um, During the first week of November of 1918, the number of cases of influenza in Butte and the number of deaths started to go down. And so um, Silver Boat County Board of Health decided after much debate that they were gonna remove the lid on the prohibiting um, public places on being open. So they actually opened bars, saloons, churches, and schools. And as you guys know, the armistice was signed on November 11th and um, Butte had a big armistice day parade. And then, guess what happened? A week later, cases go up again, deaths go up again. And this, there's uh, a number of other towns in Montana had a similar phenomenon, Missoula was one. So the plague returned, and nature was still um, raging against humanity. Um, So when those number of cases and deaths started to rise again in the middle of November, the Silver Boat county, Bo- Silver Silver county Board of Health decided to put the lid back on and close things down. And the city council at that point changed their mind and said, nah, you don't have authority to actually close things down in the city, even though they let them early in the pandemic. So there was a big fight, uh, as you can see here on the right. And the County Board of Health almost got to the point where they were gonna call the governor to help declare martial law and bring in troops to close down June again. Fortunately, Dr. Cogswell, who always seems to be the public health hero, um, negotiated a truce on behalf of the Board of Health, and so you've got closed down again. And I don't know how much time I have. A couple minutes. A couple minutes. So I'll just do one plug, I, I won't have to go through all of it. But, uh, so the Silver, Butte Silver Bow archives are outstanding, and I went down there to dig into some of this, and they have the County Board of Health meeting minutes during this time period um, in you know, very nice volumes, handwritten. And it was amazing. Um, the, the Board of Health met sometimes two to three times a day to try to figure out how to deal with this. And just going through every tool and everything they tried to throw at the pandemic to address it was pretty amazing over the time period. Did they have any shots yet? They had, a, actually I didn't hit on that and I could um, There was an experimental vaccine vaccines, not for influenza, but for the pneumonia secondary, um, for people getting infected with pneumonia after they got influenza. So Montana considered, and they did get some um, vaccine from the Mayo Clinic, um, Dr. Coxwell was skeptical whether it would work or not when, in the end, he was correct, it didn't work. Actually, in Butte, they actually tested the vaccine on prisoners, which is not good. So, um, but, uh, but Butte did everything from, in the beginning of the pandemic, they closed down all public places except for saloons. Later, they would close saloons. Um, the streetcars had to have your windows open. Um, if you were a barber, you had to wear a mask and fumigate. Um, They had uh, the National Guard and police would uh, be quarantined, um, so they would actually be stationed in front of people's houses to make sure they didn't leave if they were ill. So they tried everything in the kitchen sink and it didn't really work. So in conclusion, just during a time of extraordinary events in Montana, the most extraordinary and deadly epidemic of the 20th century struck and it took a dramatic toll on Montana. Humanity was raging against itself over in Europe and then nature chose to rage against us. And really medicine and public health were not prepared for the assault. And although responses in communities across the state including many inspirational and heroic efforts, the epidemic pretty much just ran its course with little hindrance and its toll would impact generations. And I just wanna finish with, so the Board of Health looked back the next year and kind of reflected on um, what did we learn and um, basically, their reflections were only modestly optimistic. And this is a quote from their, their biennial report. Our mem- memories of this and other epidemics should not fail. Let's hope that through preparedness and health organization and in the education of new generations, we may prevent a repetition of the of losses that influenza has caused in the past three years. And so, just lastly, I just wanted to thank um, a number of our staff assisted with this project. I want to acknowledge those. Folks, and then folks at the Historic Society Research Center right there, Um, thank you guys for all your assistance. We have never done any historic research before, so um, it was a new thing, and you guys were fabulous. So thank you.